everyone, Angela Bowen here, the host of Looking Back on My Wonder Years, a Wonder Years podcast. Well, today I am bringing you my review of the new Wonder Years from 2021, which debuted on September 22nd, the pilot episode. So in this episode, struggling to figure out where he fits in, Dean decides to pursue his calling as quote-unquote, the great uniter and attempts to organize the first integrated baseball team between, baseball game between his team and his friend Brad's team. So this episode has a 6.9 out of 10 based on 225 ratings. We have Elisha Williams playing Dean Williams. We have Dule, I'm sorry if I mispronounce his name, Dule Hill as Bill Williams Again, uh, another name I can't pronounce. Sakon Singlebo playing the mother Will- Lillian Williams. Uh, Dule Hill is playing Bill Williams, the father. We have Laura Karyuk. Again, I apologize. Playing older sister Kim. We have Mary O'Neill playing Corey Long, one of Dean's best friends. We have Julian Lerner playing Brad Hitman. He is the white boy who is also best friends with Dean on the opposing baseball team. We have Milan Ray playing... Keisha, Keisha, uh, when I hear it, I'll be able to pronounce it correctly. Keisha Clemens, Don Cheadle as the narrator. We have Alan Maldonado as Coach Long. We have Charity Jordan as Vivian Long. They are Corey's parents. Also, Coach Long is also Dean's coach. We have a bunch of, who's future Karen? We have white mom, we got Kim's boyfriend. All right, so this episode, of course, directed by Fred Savage. It was on the original Wonder Years that ran from 88 to 93. Writers Saladin K. Patterson, Neil Marlins, based on the original series. Carol Black, based on the original series. Those are the writing credits. We do have some trivia. Fred Savage, who starred in the original series from 88 to 93, drafts the pilot episode. Comic book in the school bus scene is Avengers 52, the issue where Black Panther joined the team. Bill tells Lillian he might spend his first royalty check on that pearl necklace I caught you staring at at Parsons. Parson was a Birmingham-based chain of Department stores founded in 1877 with multiple locations throughout Alabama and across the southeast. In 2006 and 2007, Parison was sold and the stores were either closed or converted to Belks or Bontons. From 1970 to 2006, the Montgomery location of Parison was in the Montgomery Mall. In 2017, the Montgomery Advent 
advertiser reported that the disused space that had been the Ferris and Ethel Montgomery Mall was being renovated into the new school building for the Loveless Academ Academic Magnet Program High School Lamp. Alma Mater of the Wonder Years showrunner Saladin K. Patterson. All right. Warning, spoilers, if you don't want to hear this part, skip ahead. At the end of the original series premiere, Kevin and Winnie, his dream girl, share the first kiss together. In this premiere, Dean's heart is broken when he sees his dream girl kissing his best friend. One of many mirrored similarities between the show. So I will hold off on the reviews until the end. This is going to be my second watch. So far, three episodes of the show have aired. I've only watched the pilot. I'm going to be honest. I, I liked it. I thought it was good. It just... And like I said, I only watched a pilot, so maybe in the next couple episodes, things will kind of get smoothed out a little bit. I felt... And even Jeremy said there is too much narration going on. And even with Daniel Stern in the original show, it's like he, with the narration, only came in when it was absolutely necessary, you know, here and there. But it's just like we just got, and again, it's the pilot episode, so it's still kind of ironing things out. And hopefully that it's not going to be consistent every, because you're not pulling back on the narration and giving the kid time to you know, you know, do his thing. Kind of like Kevin Arnold. It's like, you know, pull back on the narration and let the kid, you know, do what he's there to do. You only need to dip in every so once in a while. Another thing, it's like, we didn't really hear Kevin Arnold talking about, you know, in my present time, where I'm at right now, this was going, this is going on now. Where, because even... Adult Dean's bringing up Google, like, oh, cause, yeah, it's in the classroom scene. It's like, no, in my time, no, we have Google, so this wouldn't. And then at the baseball game, another thing, it's like, I made a complete fool of myself at my kid's baseball game, and I had to go through some counseling or something like that. It's like he's constantly making references to, like, the now times, and it's just like, Kevin... The original show didn't do and I'm not bashing this show. And again, it's just the pilot episode that I've seen. So more likely, the show will be more fleshed out. I know there's only six episodes, just like the original series and stuff like that. So, but, I mean, I, I thought it was good overall. I just, for 22 minutes, it really felt, and this is my original feelings, it felt like too much happened in too short a time. Like, they're trying to fit so much in because it's the pilot. Because we have Dean at his baseball game. We have him going to his first day of school. We have him, you know, with the family, you know, and just, it just felt like, like too much was being packed into 22 minutes. Like, it just feels like you're not given enough room to, like, sit back and, like, let them, you know, focus on... Because even, like, again, and I'm making a pair, comparisons to the pilot of the original. You have Kevin's first day of school, and then you have the whole thing with Brian Cooper at the end, and then 
Kevin and Winnie's kiss and everything. Bing, bang, boom. It's not like, here's the first day of school. Here's the baseball game that also has this going on. Here's the, you know, and then of course, you know, at the end of this episode, we have the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination, whereas in the original was 1968, but the assassination of, I thought, Robert F. Kennedy. I thought that had already happened because JFK's assassination was like five years earlier and stuff. So, I mean, I like that this is telling it from another family's point of view and a whole other, you know, state with a whole other set of POVs and everything. I like that aspect. I just felt like there's too much going on in the pilot. So, without further ado, let's jump into the second rewatch, and maybe I'll find things a little more that I like about it this second time around. So, as Dean is riding his bike down the street, he's giving us... Adult Dean is kind of explaining how when Dean was 12, when he was 12, his parents gave him the quote-unquote police talk. And also, with the presidential election, there being a racial divide. Also, this is the time of, not so much, you know, segregation, but integration where he is going to junior high that is now being integrated. You know, black students are going to school with white students and just kind of seeing a little bit of, you know, the friction there and everything and just how they're being treated because now they're going to a new school with not just, you know, other black kids, but you know, white kids as well. Yeah, Dean's, adult Dean says, yeah, growing up, my parents gave me the police talk of how to handle myself around cops. And then he also mentions a racial divide with the presidential election. And he mentions what I would, I'm confused about is what is this flu pandemic he's going on about? Because looking at it now a second time around, it's like, is he talking about, like, as an adult, like, I thought he's like, is he talking about COVID? Because that's the only flu pandemic that I can think of right now. I mean, I didn't grow up in 1968, so I don't know. I mean, I could go and look on my phone right now. Like, was there a, a flu-type pandemic going on in 1968? Okay, okay, here we go. Okay, the Hong Kong flu, also known as the 1968 flu pandemic. Okay, see, now there's more. Okay, I, okay, all right. Was a flu pandemic whose outbreak in 1968, which, of course, this is the time that the show was taking place, and 1969 killed between 1 and 4 million people globally. It is among the deadliest pandemics in history and was caused by an H3N2 strain of influenza A virus. The virus hmm, descended from H2N2 through antigenic shift, a genetic process in which genes from multiple subtypes are resorted to form a new virus. Oh, they're wearing masks. Oh, wow. Oh, what? See, I didn't know. I just thought, because he's talking flu pandemic, I'm thinking, like, with COVID, I'm like, because we, I, we do hear adult Dean talking about Google and him having to go to some, like, therapy thing because he blew up at his son's coach or something to that effect. 
57 and 58? H2N2. Pandemic Asian flu was compromised. Uh, uh, wow. Oh my goodness. Wow. I didn't. Wow. And yeah, just hearing about. Yeah, he's saying how there's a flu pandemic going on that was, it was said would kill like over a million people. And then he says, but it's 1968. And this was the world I was living in. And then we just kind of hear the music come in as he's riding his bike down the street. You see all these shops and everything. And Adult Dean goes on to say, this is the year that I turned 12. The year that a boy becomes a man. Or as the old folks used to say, when a boy starts smelling himself. Okay. So Adult Dean also goes on to narrate about how over the summer with the race riots... And something about white flight to the, the suburbs. The race riots that caused the first white flight to the suburbs. And then we're seeing footage of cops with the giant hoses and, you know, spraying, you know, wet people and stuff like that. And then Dean comes on to say that, you know, his neighborhood was particularly safe as we see streetlights come on and it's dark. And we see, and when he's riding his bike down the street, you just see kids playing on the jump rope on the sidewalk and just Dean saying how, you know, he wasn't really, it almost seemed like the neighborhood that he was in was safe so that none of that stuff really, like, affected him personally. He also says, you know, we were living in neighborhoods that were uh, just as safe as the ones being developed outside the city, so maybe more like towards the country and stuff like that and then he talked about his neighborhood how there's a lot of like shop owners teachers veterans and he says all these people united by self-determination and pride and the right to spank any child outside after the street lights came on as we see the street lights come on as dean's riding his bike home so what does that mean he's gonna get a spanked butt up into his driveway with his bike we see his older sister Kim making out with her boyfriend in a car with a radio on Dean hears his dad's song and adult Dean goes on to tell us his father is a music professor by day and then he says like a blues musician at you know a musician at night so it looks like yeah his father's song was finally put on the radio awesome sauce 
Oh, he says a funk musician by night. And then Dean runs into the house and sits right in front of the stereo and goes to turn the stereo on. So here we get Dean's, we see Dean's father kind of coming in with a, look like he's got a drink in his hand. And then Dean, uh, Dean comes in and starts fiddling with the radio knobs. He's trying to like tune into his dad's song while it's still playing on the air. And then his mom comes in. I just, I thought that was kind of like, not a big deal. Like, oh, I know that you didn't just come into this house without speaking like, hi, mom, hi, daddy. And Dean's like, the dad's song was done. She's like, no buts. And then, of course, here comes Kim coming in. Like, I heard daddy's song on the radio. And then immediately Dean's mom changes her tune. Like, hey, turn it on. <laughs> and the family is just jo- just dancing and just swaying to the song. Oh. Definitely plays out as a family that is definitely very, they're very comfortable. There's no real hecticness like we get with, and yes, I am going to make comparisons to the original show. And the original pilot, there's just cray-crayness going on from the word go. We got, you know, Kevin coming in with Paul and just like, you know, it's just before school starts, end of summer, and, you know, Norma's trying to get dinner going. We got Karen rolling in after Kevin and Paul are there, like, hey, Paul, you want to stay for dinner? And Paul's allergic to everything. And then, of course, we got Jack coming in from work, and he's grumpy because he's had to uh, bust his ass at his job, and he's got to fight traffic all the fucking way home so he's pissed off he's ornery and everything and there's that like kind of chaosness where this kind of opens just casual like hey he's just adult dean is explaining what's going on in the world and how he kind of fits into everything he's 12 just like kevin trying to figure where he fits in the world with everything going on and it just where yeah it just seems like norm is a homemaker and she's in the house, you know, doing for the family and everything like that. Where she doesn't have a job. Her job is being a homemaker, a wife, and mother. Whereas, and, and Jack is just, he was in Korea. And then I thought, like, he went to college. I thought, didn't he? And then he went to Nor. Yeah, he, he went to college. And then he went to Norcom. So he's working in, you know, manufacturing plant for umpteen years. Whereas Dean's, both Dean's parents, because even Norma said in the pilot episode of The Wonder Years, when um, we meet, we meet um, Karen's boyfriend, Lewis, Norma says she was going to college, but she dropped out her freshman year when she met, you know, Jack, and then they got married and she had Karen and she never really went back. Although in the later seasons, five and six... Or we see in season four towards the end, she decides to go back to school and go go back to college and get a degree, which she does. But it, it just seems like, it almost feels like maybe Dean's parents are a smidge more well off as far as both his parents are college graduates and all that stuff. And I'm not saying, I'm not trying to pit one family against another saying this one struggle more than this family. This one has their own set of problems over this family. And so I don't want to make it sound like that. 
both shows in the same time period are coming at this from two different, totally pers different perspectives. Well, of course, as soon as Lillian, Dean's mom, hears, like, you know, her husband's songs on the radio, Dean's trying to, like, fiddle with a knob trying to get the station to come in, and, <laughs> like, oh, as soon as she, yeah, it's like, she's like, all right, boy, get out of the way, and she's starting to, like, and then here comes Bill, Dean's father, like, all right, everyone, be cool, be cool. I love how chillax he is. And, of course, the be cool is, as Dean explains it, his father's mantra for every situation from lighting the grill, the barbecue in the backyard, to handling being pulled over by the cops. Before we get the, um, you know, the family being pulled over by the cops, we see Dean, he's plugging something into a, on the outlet, and he's getting basically electric. You're hearing the zapping, and his dad's like, all right, all right, be cool. I'm like, your son is being electrocuted right now. I get you want to stay calm, but... And not to mention, I thought if someone's being electrocuted, you don't go up and, like, touch them because you yourself, couldn't you also be electrocuted as well? So, of course, they finally get the, the I don't know how long the song is, but, or how long it goes on for, but it's quite a while because they're able to get it on there and they're just, you know, swaying to the music, like, oh, and Lillian's telling Kim, like, you better... Be more excited. Your daddy's song is on the radio. And, of course, that's when Bill is like, well, wait a minute. You were in the car, in a car with your boyfriend? What? Wait, what now? Like, why am I just hearing him? What, what's going on? First in the pilot episode, Karen's talking about around the dinner table. Because even Norm was like, Okay, your dad just got home. Try not to make him crazy because he's in a foul mood. And it's like, even Kevin's like, we didn't try to bug our dad until he had that first vodka tonic that Norman gives him. And then here comes Karen with, I'm going to get some birth control. I just thought you ought to know. And then Jack, like, loses his, like, <laughs> like, tell me I didn't hear what I just heard. <laughs> Where this family just seems very, very chill about just a lot, I mean, other than, you know, of course, dad wants to protect his daughter's innocence. Like, wait, what now? You were in a, in a car with your boyfriend now? What? <laughs> so, of course, Kim throws out, well, Dean was out riding his bike and then all the streetmates came on. Of course, that's not a concern. No, it's more like, oh, nosy neighbor Miss Handy was probably out there like oh what are the neighbors gonna say to my, our daughter sitting in a car making out with her boyfriend we can't be having that the whole neighborhood's gonna hear about it now thanks kim like like i don't want it, people thinking that i'm not raising my daughter right or something like that <laughs> it's all about image and wanting wanting to like not have people judging you Especially your neighbors. You know, these are people you have to live around. You don't really get a choice unless you move a house. Yeah, Lillian's going to like, she's going to be talking. Miss Handy, you don't want Miss Handy seeing that. She's going to be talking about me and my mother. And, like, I'm not doing a good job bringing my daughter up right. <laughs> so, I love how Dean is just his eyes closed. He's got a smile on his face. Just swaying back and forth. Just hearing the music. Not listening to his parents bickering. Not listening to the music. Ah, 
He just like swaying back and forth. And then adult Dean, of course, is saying, this would not be the first or the last time I swing back and forth in my chair. I'm just so into it. <laughs> he says, this would not be the first or the last time that emotions would run high in this house. And I believe he was most likely talking about what happens at the end of this episode when they found out about the Martin Luther King Jr. assassination. Mind you, this is 68, so and we'll, we'll get to that. We'll get to that. Dean says, you know, as we still see him closing his eyes and smiling and just swaying back and forth and just grooving to the music in his, he's like, no matter whether we are laughing or yelling, if you turn your head just right, it all just sounded like music. So this almost feels like it could be one long cold open. I'm like, okay, we got the introduction out of the way, introduce you to the family. Now let's get set up with the actual episode. So now we get into the episode. Looks like it could very well be the first day of school. Dean, adult Dean tells us one of the things that hasn't changed over the decades at is at age 12, you kind of figure out, or you're trying to figure out where your place is in the world. And Dean kind of feels like he's at the bottom of the pecking order, especially when it comes to his siblings, because they have their own defined traits. His older sister, Kim, is popular. There's a picture of her as a cheerleader. He's got an older brother. So I believe it goes... Old, the brother is the oldest, and then the sister is the middle child, and then Dean is the youngest. And he's saying, I'll never be as popular as my sister, and I'll definitely never be as, a, as athletic as my brother. His older brother, of course, is currently serving in Vietnam. And we see pictures of his brother as a basketball star, as a baseball player, just kind of a jack-of-all-trades. Like, any sport that he could do, he clearly did and was great at. 
So it's like Dean is trying to figure out where he is. Like, if he's not extremely athletic, even though he does play baseball, we see in this episode, and he's not hugely popular, then it's like, well, where do I fit in? Not only in my family, but also in the school. And he even adds his parents into the equation. I'll never be as smart as my mom or as bad as my dad, as far as bad meaning good, because, you know, his dad's a musician, and he's also a music teacher and stuff like that. And it's just like, where does Dean, like, what is, what is his shtick? You know, what is what makes Dean Dean? Like, he's looking for something that kind of defies him, like something that he's good at. And Dean says that's the problem with being born last, being the youngest, is all the good parts have been handed out. Like, my sister's popular, so I can't do that. My brother is extremely athletic, so can't shine in that department. Like, poor kid. And then we see a picture of him. He says that he was in a play. There's a picture of him dressed as a sheep. Sheep number three. He's like, really? Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so Dean figures this year he's going to find out what his bag is. Quote... What makes Dean Dean? What is he good at? What can he strive for? What can get him up on that wall of fame in his house? And his mom's like, Dean, get in here and have your breakfast or you're going to miss the bus. And Dean even mentions, you know, basically his parents, you know, they're pretty well off. They're pretty decent. I mean, both his parents went to college. I mean, I think his dad even has a job, you know, as a professor of music at at a college. So, yeah, they probably got paid on the reg pretty dang good for an allowance. Whereas, if you remember, (laughs) oh, my gosh, that episode where Kevin takes a job as a caddy because... Of course, his his dad's only able to pay what he can, what he can afford to pay. Like, after all the bills are paid, here's what your allowance is, like, a couple bucks tops. So, Lillian, the mom, of course, is very on Kim to, like, did you study the SATs as she hands her the book? And, you know, Dean comes in, his mom's kind of, you know, checking for eye boogers and ashy elbows and whatnot. And also she mentions, where are your glasses? He's like, I don't need them. And then adult Dean says, wearing glasses at 12 in middle school is like asking your cousin to get a prom dress ready. Well, and the thing is, isn't mainly most of the glasses that were in the 50s and 60s, 60s kind of came in one color, basic black. Like, and there are bulky, chunky frames, too. Kind of like, um, what's his name? What's that musician? Not Jerry Lee Lewis. Um, 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 um. Buddy Holly! Buddy Holly! Rock those glasses. Those, actually, I've noticed, like, some that are, like, the black on top, but then they got the wire, you know, part of the frame underneath. I actually, I mean, I can't even remember where I saw someone recently wearing those. But I'm like, it's like they're trying to bring that style back. I think even my youngest nephew was wearing them a while back. And I'm just like, it's like people are trying to, trying to bring that style back. So, of course, Dean needs a better glove. His mother notices, what are you doing with 
Bruce's things? What have I told you about taking his things while your brother's away? An adult, Dean says, away is what his mother uses the term for, you know, being over in Vietnam. And, of course, Dean says, well, Coach Long says I needed a bigger glove, a longer glove. And, of course, it's at, his dad is like, I just bought you that glove. Are you serious? So, of course, uh, Dean's dad, I guess he's got a th thing about Coach Long. It's like, is Coach Long going to pay me for that glove that I just spent money on that you're not going to use? And then, of course, he goes after... Lillian, like, oh, I bet he just did that because uh, he made you team mom. It almost sounds like, like, den mother, like, Cub Scouts and stuff like that. But, yeah, he's like, oh, he probably just made you team mom because uh, <laughs> he's sweet on you. And, of course, Lillian says, no, it just, look, he just did that because we work together, okay? Relax. Of course, it's just, you know, Bill is just having fun with, with Lillian and stuff like that. And, of course, Dean has to chime in. And I love, this gets mentioned twice now in the uh, in the episode, where they both look at Dean and together say, stay out of grown folks' business. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Dean tells us that stay out of grown folks' business usually referred to sex, money, or the way that dad's rehearsal studio smelled after a session. <laughs> That's when they were smoking the ganja. <laughs> they were smoking something, yeah. <laughs> so Kim gets up and her mother like puts a hand on her shoulder to kind of push her back down in her seat and is like, let's go over analogies, you know, the SATs. And of course, Kim, kind of like Karen, talking about real life when Karen was applying to colleges, and, of course, her dad's like, what do you know about real life? Because she even says, maybe I'll go backpacking through Europe or something like that. Or, or wanting to take a gap year. And Kim here says, yeah, the SATs have nothing to do with real life. And she's mentioning a couple of people that are relatively famous. I don't know whether they're musicians or activists or whatever. And just saying, these two didn't even go to college and they're successful. I'm sorry, no, it's not that they didn't go to college, they didn't even finish college. And Bill points at her and says, no, you're going to college. I'm sure the revolution will need a good accountant or a dentist. There is fucking money there. As an accountant, as a dentist, oh, hell yeah, I, I can imagine. I mean, if I could be an accountant, I probably, I, I would definitely look into that. But that's... Numbers, I mean, I do fine with numbers, you know, as a cashier and stuff like that, too, when I was a cashier, you know, but, um, and even, you know, managing our financialness and everything on the home front, but I just, and I know I've heard, you know, someone who's an accountant tell me, like, it's not really that hard to become one and stuff, you just really gotta like numbers and whatnot, like, eh. If it has anything to do with fractions, I'm out. Any division, multiplying, the, those are the areas. Definitely fractions. I, I struggle hard. I love that Dean and his dad kind of like slap like they, <laughs> like they kind of laugh that off about, oh, the revolution needs a good dentist or accountant. And then, of course, Bill says, what kind of father would I be? What kind of music professor would I be if my daughter didn't go to college? Like, how would that make me look personally, as a parent. 
and someone who did go to college. So, <laughs> Bill, he's like, it's bad enough my son doesn't have rhythm. And Dean looks at him and he's like, hey. And, of course, I love how Bill puts a hand on Dean's shoulder, like, hey, and kind of pats him like, hey, my son doesn't have rhythm yet, all right, yet. He's like, you'll get there. As in, almost like he's saying, like, my son hasn't kind of found, like, who he is, like, what's going to. I guess kind of define him. What's his shining interest that he's really going to excel at? Like, you're 12, you haven't found it yet. But then again, it hits people at different times. And I just think, yeah, Dean is just really going to harp on this. Like, really, what am I good at? What am I good at? What can I excel at? What's going to make me stand out? So Lillian tells Kim, you know, you need at least a 1050 on your SATs to get into Auburn. And... Bill's like, Auburn? You know, there's plenty of good black colleges out there. He even mentions Spelman, which is a, it seems like it's a inclusive, like, all-girls, you know, black college, which, okay. But then again, I mean, it's like, come on. That just makes me think of Silver Spoons in season five when Edward was trying to get Rick to go to an all-male college. And it's like, what the hell? Seriously. I get it that if you're paying for it, sure, and you want them to get a good education, but... I mean, if the person's up to it, great, but Kim is like, no, what? Spellman. Yeah, he says, no boys at Spellman. It's a win-win. And, of course, <laughs> Kim's like, for who? And Bill says, points at himself, Win points at Lillian says win 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 like that's good for us that way you'll focus on your studies and not get mixed up with boys so here's the thing that kind of gets thrown in here with his dad and other black folks saying they felt they didn't need to mix with white people too yeah Dean says a lot of black people didn't feel like they needed to mix with white people to feel better off because his dad went with you know a black doctor black dentist black accountant and also the black plumber you know i just sat here that's kind of smelling the air and i'm thinking okay what's is something burning i know i'm not cooking something and i i wandered over like what is hopefully nothing's on fire and i just realized and it just texted jeremy I think because he turned the heat on yesterday because, I mean, right now it's like 55, 60 degrees here in Texas and it's a little chilly-ish and it's supposed to rain later and it's just weird. I remember at the house when the furnace would kick on for the first time, you get that smell and that's exactly kind of what this is. It's like, <laughs> so, so I, I was scared. I thought something was burning. Like, I know I don't have anything cooking. I know I don't have anything on. Just that, that fear, like, oh my gosh! No, and then I realized, like, wait a minute. No, that smells like a furnace that hasn't run in a very long time. <laughs> oh my gosh. Woo! Oh, Jeremy just texted, the first time on will usually do that. <laughs> yeah, I remember at the house, like, when we would turn the furnace on after umpteen months of having it off, it would do that, so... Crisis averted, thank goodness. <laughs> so, when Kim lifts the book, the SAT book, a picture falls out of it, and Dean picks it up and he looks at it. 
There's a picture of, I guess this is Lillian, maybe? But she's wearing a black, like, slim lady's leather jacket and holding what looks like a gun, a a long barrel shotgun or rifle, whatever. And I just, I don't understand what that's about. But apparently Dean just hands it back to her, doesn't say anything, doesn't ask, like, what's this? He just quickly hands it back to her. So I don't know what that's about. Hopefully we're going to learn more about what that's about. Unless they just kind of brush it on the road like it's not important. But no, it's like you don't show us that picture and not like expand on what that's about. But maybe that's his sister's own personal storyline of what she's going through. I mean, she's almost out of high school, so she could be trying to figure out her own path aside from what her parents want for her. So the bus honks outside and Corey gets on the bus and he thinks to this girl like who's 
he thinks this girl on the bus is kind of waving at him a little, but it turns out, no, she's waving to the girl behind Dean, and he's saying, like, even without glasses, I'm not popular. And then we see Coach Long's son, Corey's best, Corey, Dean's best friend, Corey. I think this is a funny nod because, you know, Corey, Ben Savage from Boy Meets World, Fred Savage and the Wonder Years. I just think, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know. <laughs> Corey actually, he's a bit taller than Dean. He's got uh, braces on. And it's like, hey, Dean, what's up, man? Give me some skin. And they, you know, they uh, do the slide. I guess, what would you call that? A slide high five? But it's not a high five. It's a slide five. I don't know. <laughs> I'm sure there's a term for it. I don't know. So, of course, Dean says that Corey figured out his bag as soon as he hit puberty. Because he hit six inches of height. And six inches of hair where it counts, as in the pubic area. Like, duh. I don't think you ever heard that on the on the Wonder Years. Nothing of <laughs> nothing about erections, nothing about pubes, none of that on the on the Wonder Years. So, this show, this this new venture in this Wonder Years is definitely stretching with the limits of what you can say on television in 2021 versus what you can say in television from 88 to 93. There's, I mean, like even Modern Family and stuff, it's, it's amazing the things that are just, and some other sitcoms, I'm like, oh my gosh, they went there. They really did. They went there. Even Fuller House, too. It's like, wow, we have come a ways with what you can put in dialogue on television. So Dean asked Corey if the party that Corey went to was actually a makeout party, and Corey just kind of smiles at him and says, you know it's not right to kiss and tell. So clearly it was. <laughs> and the fact that Dean, oh my god, dude, you were on a school bus with your other classmates, or kids you go to school with. He... Ask Corey, but remember, you said you would teach me how to French kiss on a pillow. And even Corey's like, shut up. Like, I will tell you, but you what? Oh, my gosh. There aren't that many kids on the bus, but dude. Seriously? So the bus stops for a hot second outside the old school that Dean used to go to before the schools were were integrated and now he moved to a different school where it's white kids and black kids together. So it looks like <clears throat> it was a predominantly white school and then you have, you know, the black kids coming in. Because when Dean or Corey um goes to or somebody goes to drink out of the waterfall, we got two white kids that turn and look like how dare you drink out of it like it's been integrated shut up these damn white kids i swear i get it i get it i get it that was the times but still it doesn't make it right yeah the old school was shut down for desegregation and dean says they would go there to hang out on the swings and like maybe make out with a girl or something like that throw rocks at the windows since no one's going to that school here comes Lisa Jones, who I don't know whether 
like, the middle school is kind of mixed with, like, lower edge, like, like, even when Kevin started in seventh grade, there were, it went, like, seven, eight, nine, and then 10, 11, 12 was high school. So, yeah, you were going, and I'm like, that girl looks like she's clearly in high school. Holy shit. So, he's saying how everyone had a crush on Lisa. She was the it girl. But Dean's crush is coming up right behind Lisa. And I'm just, I'm going to have to try to somehow pronounce this girl's name. Kisa Clement. That is going to be such a hard name because I want to say Keisha. I'm, I mean, the name's cute and everything, but God, that is going to be hard to remember as I cover the show. If they say it enough, maybe <laughs> maybe I'll uh, I'll remember. But that, that's Dean's crush. And she gets on the bus. Her hair is in braids. She's wearing a letterman's jacket, which maybe she's got an older brother that, you know, that's his jacket or something like that. <laughs> Dean, it's just he's caught up in a haze in the slow-mo as she moves down the row of seats, down the aisle. And she hands him the comic that he let her borrow, The Avengers. Like, oh, hey, Dean, thanks for letting me borrow this comic. So that's kind of cute, you know, they, you know, got that in common. Like if you want to spend time with your crush or get to know your crush, try to find something that you both have in common. You know, hey, I'm reading comic books. You, you want to read this comic book? We can talk about it later. There you go. That's an in, basically. And she says, you're right. It was great. And Dean, adult Dean says, to this day, I can't smell Vaseline and Tide without going back to this feeling in this moment. I'm like, oh my gosh. And again, it's just, like I said, I've only watched the pilot. This is like my third, second time watching this. And I just feel like the the narrator is just, he's dipping in too, too much. I really honestly hope they kind of pull back and let the character of Dean, young Dean, tell the story. I mean, it's fine for adult Dean to pop in once in a while and say something, you know, relevant to what was going on, but he's constantly, it's honestly, the narration is, is just too much. It is really, yeah. Nothing wrong with Don Cheadle. He does an amazing job in the pilot, and I'm sure he's gonna, he's still doing an amazing job in the other episodes, but Pull back on the narration. Let the kid talk. Let him show his, you know, his stuff and everything like that. So Dean, of course, looking over his shoulder and at her. <laughs> I feel stupid. Uh, I want to call her Keisha or Kesha. Not Kesha, but Keisha. It's so bad. I just, but I, that's not her name. Kessa, right? Kessa? Um. So he's looking at her, and Cory kind of lightly punches him in the arm. It's like, hey, man, tell her you want to go together. And Dean's like, no, 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 I'm not going to do that. And Cory's like, come on, man, you're scared. Don't be scared of her. And Dean brushes off like, hey, I'm not scared, all right? My plan is to stay friends with her until she realizes she likes me. What a dumb move. And if Cory says, you know, if you don't like, 
ask her, someone else is going to do it themselves and you're going to lose. So this dingus boy who's sitting across from Kisa, it starts poking her from across the street. And she's like, stop it, stop it. And then Dean was like, hey, thinking to himself, is this my moment to be her knight in shining armor and defend her? Oh, hell no. No, 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 no. This girl can fucking take care of herself. I just feel like maybe they should have thrown a little of this into Winnie Cooper. Remember the episode Fate from season two with that fucking bully, Eddie Panetti, who's taking that field hockey stick and lifting Winnie's, like, field hockey skirt up with it? It's like... This girl wouldn't have put up with that shit. She would have frickin' taken that field hockey stick and, like, whamped it right up the side of Eddie Panetti's head. Or this guy. I mean, come on. Seriously. I'm not saying Winnie Cooper was weak-willed. I'm just saying she should have had a little bit of the I can take care of myself. I don't need a guy to defend. And she proves it right here. By putting that piece of shit kid in a fucking headlock and says, Say you're sorry! Both Dean and Corey like, damn. This, like, this girl knew her herself. <laughs> and Corey says, both the boys are, what? why is this bus not moving? I guess, I don't know. But both Corey and Dean are looking over the seat, the back of the seat. And Corey's like, man, she's tough. And Dean says, yeah, I dig it. <laughs> I bet you do, buddy. I bet you do. Kiss on a pillow at you. Shut down because of desegregation. But we still hung out there sometimes. Mainly to girls about girls and then girls. Wow, I really got distracted. You know the girl that you see for the first time and everything slows down? That was Lisa Jones. Everybody had a crush on her. But here comes my crush. Kisa Clements. She was perfect. Jefferson Davis Junior High School. So the boys enter the school. It's Corey. Excuse me. <coughs> excuse me. It's Corey that takes a drink from the water fountain. And then this white boy and white girl 
kind of roll their eyes at him and walk away. They don't approach him. They don't confront him. They're just like, oh, my gosh. It's like, hey, he goes to school there, too. He can get a drink of water from that water fountain. My gosh. Fucking stop this shit. So here we meet one of Dean's other BFFs. This is Brad. He is a white boy with curly top head of hair. And Dean says he was the Pee Wee Reese to Dean's Jackie Robinson. The kid comes up all smiles waving, hey guys, how's it going? Hey fellas. Indeed, Dean adds, well, uh, that is if Pee Wee Reese were Jewish and couldn't catch a fly ball. So I like that they are also, just like with Paul Pfeiffer being Jewish in the Wonder Years and stuff, I like that they've added this element, you know, characteristic to this young man. And apparently, I guess Brad isn't the greatest baseball player because he actually plays on an opposing team. And this is something that is going to come up later in this episode where Dean and Corey try to convince Coach Long, Corey's dad, if their team, their all-black team, can play against an all-white team, so Brad's team. And Brad, of course, seems for it. I mean, but we'll get to that. We'll get to that when we get to that. Okay, I wrote out her name. Kisa. Kisa. Okay, there we go. I wrote it out just like that, so that way. Okay, so Corey's like, hey, take a guess. And Brad says, uh, let me guess. Dean is still afraid to tell Kisa that he likes her. Yep, ding, ding, ding. You got the prize there, Brad. That is exactly it. And Brad's saying, dude, I'm telling you, she already knows you like her. And Dean's like, what, did you blab? And Brad says, no, she can tell by the stupid way you look at her all the time. Like, who's your tongue hanging out of your mouth and just the big old puppy dog eyes? Yeah. Okay, well, <laughs> of course, Brad says, you look like a wet dream, Dean. And <laughs> Corey says, yeah, such a wet dream. I'm thinking... Did wet dream mean back then in 68 what it means now? Like, let me look up the definition of wet dream here. Wet dream. Nocturnal emission. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. A wet dream is when a guy ejaculates while he's sleeping. Uh, huh. Facts about wet dreams, WebMD. Oh my goodness gracious sake. Uh, maybe it did mean that back in 1968. And Dean is like, I do not look like a wet dream. And then, of course, adult Dean comes in to say, okay, we, none of us had any idea what that meant. So as I said, Dean and Corey play on a, one team... And Brad, hold on one second. And Brad plays on an all-white team. Corey and Dean play on an all-black team. And Dean throws a question to Brad, like, hey, what do you think, who would, who would win if our teams played each other? And Brad says, well, we would. <laughs> but we only play, you know, teams on our side of town. And Dean says, wouldn't it be amazing if our teams could meet? So this kind of brews an idea like, hmm, 
what if we did do this and we did play against each other? And Corey and Dean actually posed that question to Coach Wong and Dean's mom since Dean's mom is, you know, the team mom. And Dean throws around a term called, you know, that I, I'm familiar with from the movie Stand By Me. Vern said it a lot in Stand By Me. That would be so boss. And that's what Dean says. Like, hey, Brad, your dad's your coach, right? I mean, you could throw this idea his way. He might go for it, right? And Brad's like, yeah, maybe. I mean, he watches I Spy. So I looked it up and it says the show I Spy starred Bill Cosby and Robert Culp. Alright. So of course, like, alright, yeah, you ask your dad, Brad, and I'll ask mine. Hey fellas, what's happening? Brad, the Pee Wee Reese to my Jackie Robinson. That is, if Pee Wee Reese were Jewish and Jackie Robinson couldn't catch a fly ball. Take a guess. <laughs> Dean's still afraid to tell Keisha he likes her? No matter what. Shut up, Brad. What? I'm telling you, she already knows. How? Unless you love. She can tell by the stupid way you look at her. You look like a wet dream. Such a wet dream. How do not look like a wet dream? Okay, we clearly had no idea what that meant yet. Still, good burn. You got some practice today, too? Yeah. Who do you think we would win if our teams played each other? We would. But we only play teams on our side of town. Think about how boss it would be to have our teams meet. You guys the coach? He'll go for it, right? Uh, maybe. I mean, he watches I spy. Cool. You ask your dad and we'll ask mine. So, <laughs> cut to Coach Long getting the baseball bats and everything ready for practice. And, yeah, he's like, hell no. No, we're not doing that. And he's like, yeah, but he's our friend and we go to the same school. I mean, why can't our teams play together? And it's just, seriously, Dean, do you know not, not know what decade you're living in and what's currently going on? I mean, you must. I mean, I get it. The boy has a heart of gold and everything, and he's not naive to what's going on around him, but he definitely... This is an opportunity. There's... Between our teams, other than the color of our skin, it's like, why can't we play against each other? So... Coach Long tells Dean, like, hey, why don't you put all the energy that you have right now into trying to convince me to have our team play an all-white team and put that energy into trying to catch a fly ball without... And it it sounds like it, because it bleeps it out, and it sounds like he says fucking your pants. Or is that supposed to be, like, shitting your pants, pissing your pants? I don't know. This version of The Wonder Years definitely falls on the side of more comedy. Even from this pilot episode, you're getting that. An adult Dean comes in and says, you know, if our coach had said that today, or if a coach had said that today, he'd have to go to sensitivity training. Which, I guess, maybe that's a thing. I was never in any form of Little League or anything like that, so, I mean, I can imagine that things are a lot more stricter about what you can say in front of a kid and what you can't. An adult dean said, well, at least that's what they made me do after after I cussed out my son's team. 
Like the whole team? What were you screaming obscenities at the kids? Or just at the coach? Because that kind of shit will get you thrown out and, and in some major trouble, I can imagine. So here comes Lillian with a clipboard ready to take measurements for the team jerseys. And Dean runs out to her and says, Mama, tell Coach Long that we need to play Brad's team. And of course, I can see her not being down with this either. Like, no, 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 no. We're not doing that. And Corey says, well, Brad's asking his dad. And Lillian asks Dean, like, well, why would you want to play with a bunch of white boys? And Dean's, why does that matter? And Coach Long says, well, it doesn't, but it, to us, but it'll matter to them. And he's really, really pushing it. He says, well, how will you know? How will we know if we don't try? I mean, Mom, isn't that what you're always telling me? And she does kind of feel like she's being backed into a corner here. I mean, she did tell him that, like, don't give up, just keep trying. And, you know, he's, he's putting her words to good use. Like, you can't just say no, because in a way it's almost like you're telling them one thing after saying another. So Lillian tells Coach Long, look, I've met Brad's dad, and he's our kind of people. And, of course, Coach Long's like, I don't care. I don't want some whitey boys throwing at our pitcher, throwing at our kids' heads. Like, yeah, they're probably going to try to take our heads off or something. It's and Lillian says, well, let's not get to calling them names. And then, of course, adult Dean comes in with, let's not forget that our name's called the Redskins and the Braves and the Savages. Like, I know there have been positions and about some names being inappropriate, even after all these years, and how people are working to change them to more socially acceptable names that are less offensive. And Lillian tells Coach Holmes, like, look, we want our sons to learn to compete with them now. Otherwise, they're going to go into the real world when they really do have to. She says, or never learn and then go out into the real world with them. It's like, yeah. And Lillian says, yeah, like, you want them to feel like they're lacking? You know how we grew up, you and I and, you know, Dean's father and everything like that? So, Coach Long Caves, like, all right, I'll look, I'll talk to your friend's dad, okay? But, and Corey and Dean are all just this slide high five, like, sweets. And Coach Long makes them run three laps. Like, go on, go run your laps now. Apparently, the reason they got to run three laps is because they came to practice too early. <laughs> yeah, right. He, he, Coach Long was just trying to, like, come up with it. Like, uh, we're coming to practice too early.
Brands. I met Brands dad, and he's our kind of people. <laughs> Still don't mean I want somebody bitches throwing at our boys' heads. Well, let's not get into calling names. Never mind that there were teams called the Redskins, Chiefs, and Savages, and no one batted an eye. Look at it this way. We want our sons to learn to compete with them now, or never learn, and then go out to the world feeling like they're lacking, like we did. Okay, I'll talk to your friends, Dad, and see what you say. Yes! All right! All right, now, now give me three laps. We're coming to practice too early. Now go. So now it looks like we go to school the next day and Dean figures he's finally figured out what his bag is to be the quote unquote the great uniter. And he starts saying hi to people like in class like hey Mark, hey Chad, hey Quentin. Corey calls Dean Black Jesus and tells him to mellow out. It's like you need to let you're here. You need to come down a little bit. You are trying too hard. So Dean pulls his glasses out of his pocket, puts them on, and Kisa is right behind him and says, Hey, I, I hear you about the glasses. I mean, my mom's making me wear these. Pantyhose. Yuck. And she's got her leg kind of extended because she's like right behind, she's seated right behind Dean. And Dean is turned in his chair sideways and looks down and she's uh, yeah, yuck. <laughs> like, okay, boy, put your tongue back in your mouth. Relax. Ah, those adolescent hormones will get you every time. And Kessa, or Kisa says, I have the name right here written down. She says, oh, your glasses look cute. And, and, and adult Dean says, she basically said it looked like Billy D. Williams in glasses. Like, compliment of all compliments like yeah he's kind of reading a little too much into it but it's like he'll take a compliment from her where he can get it and here dean thinks this is the perfect time to tell her that he's loved her since he sat next to her on the first day of first grade oh my goodness again it's a compliment he's reading too much into it but then again i mean if we're that age and our crush complimented us, wouldn't we probably read a little too much into it? Wouldn't we be like, oh my gosh, it means we're in love. It means he likes me or she likes me. It's, yeah. Dude, telling her in the middle of class that you love her, that is not. And then this bully who clearly looks like he is well into high school. It's like, hey, four eyes. Do you think you could tell me what's on my TV right now? That's an insult? What? Come on now. Really? That's a lame insult. I mean, I didn't start wearing glasses till my freshman year of high school, and I never got called for it. I think we were kind of past that at some point. I don't know. Do kids nowadays get teased for wearing glasses? I don't know. I don't think that's a thing anymore anyway. Well, but then again, I haven't been a student in junior high or high school or elementary school even in a very long time so I have no idea Michael Sims here apparently there's rumors about the fact that this guy's got a kid in another school or he just did a tour in Nam and it's just like guess how old this guy is because he's clearly not a junior high student but he clearly is because he's sitting in class with Dean this guy's like ugh. 
like there was always one person that looked like they'd been held back several, several times where they look like they could already be graduated from high school, or should be graduated from high school into college. Uh, what was a good example of that? Uh, Problem Child 2. That one big guy, what the heck was his fucking name? I can't remember. <laughs> it was Murph, that's right. Well, it's because Junior got, like, he was going to be going into third grade, and then Gilbert Godfrey somehow runs the junior high, or the elementary school, whatever the fuck it is. And <laughs> he, he passes, skips Junior ahead to grade six. And then we get this guy who literally looks like he should be a high school senior or on the football team in sixth grade. And, of course, we have the teacher who played the principal in Back to the Future, Principal Strickland. Oh, my goodness gracious sake. That was good. I do plan to cover Problem Child and Problem Child 2 on the podcast. Adult Dean said bullies back then benefited from us not having Google to fact check. As interesting as this is to throw in relevances of present day, it is getting a little much. Like, can we kind of pull back on that and just, again, also with the overuse of Adult Dean. And Corey sticks up for Dean. He's like, shut up, free lunch, talking to Michael Sims. And then, of course, <sighs> Michael Sims with, yo mama, I'm free lunch. I'm thinking, when did those jokes start? I remember seventh grade, so 1995 for me. I never said them, but I heard a lot of, yo mama, blah, 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 blah. And I, I just remember the teacher, R.I.P., Mrs. Shaw said, okay, no more mama jokes. No more mamas. <laughs> like, come on. When did those fucking insults start? Was it the 60s? I don't know. Now, someone on... No, so this article says they've been around since... The, the jokes were popular since the 90s. Date all the way back before the common era. Okay, it doesn't even say, in 1993, in Living Color, the TV show became the first known TV show to mention this type of joke. Okay, gotcha. And the students just go, ooh. And then, where the hell did this fucking teacher pop up from? She, we got to the blackboard and this older haggish lady's all like, what's all the fuss back there? Where the fuck are you been, lady? Shit's been going down for like a total of five minutes. Are you that out of tune with what's going on in the back of you that you're just so zoned out about writing your name on the board or the lesson or what the fuck ever? I don't know. I don't fucking know. Of course this prissy bitch white girl raised her hand. Someone said, yo mama. Like, shut the fuck up. That lady's got ears. If she'd opened them, she would have fucking heard. Okay, seriously? She like, that's something that the black students do, but the white students don't. Hey, in the 90s, white kids were doing that too. Okay, so let's not... I get it, it's 68, but seriously. And then we gotta have Brad, apparently... It's almost like he's apologizing for the teacher's behavior, because he's like... 
Oh, she's not really racist. She's not prejudiced at all. Really? Because she fucking sounds like it. Brad, don't make excuses for them. Okay, don't make ex- don't apologize for their behavior. Those people are grown-ass adults. You know, I get it. He's trying to be helpful. He's trying to be the great, um, like, uh, Dean is kind of trying to be the great uniter, I guess. She's totally putting the kids, uh, you know, Kisa, Corey, and Dean on the spot, like, you boy, there need to be like these three. All right, their parents sent them here to learn. So this second viewing, I'm actually I misinterpreted it the first time around. I thought that white girl was trying to get Dean into trouble, saying he was the one that said the yo mama thing. And then when the teacher said you need to be more like these three, I thought she was referring to like, oh the black students need to be more, more like the white students, you know, quiet and blah blah blah. Like no, no, actually, she was using Dean, Corey, and Kisa as an example for Michael Simmons. Like you need to be more like these three. They're studious. Their parents brought them here to learn. I don't have any problems with them. You need to be, yeah. So, of course, we know how this is going to go. Michael Simmons, Sims, or whatever the hell his name is, is going to be coming after Dean. Probably. I don't know. Like, it seemed like even, like, the, the white girl was saying the yo mama, like, he said, like, to, okay, Michael. was Okay, so she was... Calling out the right person. I, 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 <laughs> I'm happy, like, watching the, I am picking up on things I might have misread or misinterpreted the first time around. So, Brad tells Dean, oh, she's not really prejudiced. She's not prejudiced. And then adult Dean says that in my memory she was. Well, I agree with Dean. I mean, her statement about that's a thing that black kids do, not white kids, that's full-on prejudice. And then Dean adds that how she gave us black kids extra attention if she felt we had potential. So it almost sounds like he's saying it's like kind of a mixed bag. Like, she was prejudiced, but she also did the this, you know, gave us extra help if she noticed, like, we had potential. So Dean also mentions how bringing people together wasn't just about, you know, white people and black people. He also wanted to help kids like Michael Sims. As Dean says, I knew I could reach him too. Well, maybe. So yes, Dean ends up getting his butt kicked <clears throat> in the hallway, shoved against the locker, punched in the stomach several times. As Michael Sims is like, you act white, you talk white, you even brought a lunchbox to school like you're white. And Corey tells Dean, like, Dean, I told you it was a dumb idea to try to talk to him. And all of a sudden, here comes this locker door flying open, and Brad falls out. Like, he's like, yes, such a dumb idea. So dumb. And Dean said, who was I kidding, honestly? The world was going to be full of Michael Simses. Yo, 
refers to himself as sheep number three and we see Bill and Lillian slow dancing in the living room he just got his first royalty check and he wants to get her a present maybe a pearl necklace she was staring at one at what is it Parisians I, I think the um, department store is jewelry store and she's like, be cool. It was just one royalty check. And he says, there's more where that came from. Aww. So Bill dips Lillian and then he notices Dean is just in the doorway there. And he's like, oh, what did you need, son? Because he's you know, straightening up. <clears throat> and Dean says, oh, I w was wondering if Mama mentioned that we're playing Brad's team from East Montgomery. And this gets Bill fired up. He's like, why do our boys got to play them? And then he mentions the Barnstorming Negro League. Like, it's the Barnstorming Negro League all over again. Okay, so I looked it up. It says, Barnstorming teams. Rather than play in an organized league, Barnstorming teams scheduled their own games as they traveled all over the country. Many of the barnstorming teams would also play games in Canada and Mexico. Barnstorming teams would also play a wide range of opponents that included Negro League teams, professional teams, semi-pro teams, other barnstorming teams, local town teams, and industrial league teams. Barnstorming teams would play all, says all comers, including both black and white teams. Some of the most important barnstorming baseball teams included Brooklyn Royal Giants, Cappy Johnson's All-Stars, Chicago Union Giants, Colored House of David, Cuban Ex-Giants, Cuban Stars, Harlem Globetrotters baseball team, Indianapolis Clowns, Negro National League All-Stars, Page Fence Giants, Satchel Pages All-Stars, uh, St. Louis Browns, Tennessee Rats, and Zulu Cannibal Giants. Here's another article real quick, and then I'll get back to the episode. 
There was a time there was a time in American history when legends of the game of baseball could be seen traveling all across the country playing in exhibition game tours known as barnstorming. During the off-season, fans were still able to catch baseball action at a major league park, or even sometimes in their hometown field as a result of these tours. At its peak in the 1940s, barnstorming offered fans some of the best baseball in the country and sometimes even better than the major leagues. While its beginnings were rooted in profit during a time when ball players made very little, these tours had some other exciting aspects that contributed to the development of the game. Barnstorming was one reason for the developments of playing games under the lights. In order to make more money during the off-season teams, would play as much as possible, and the introduction of night games under the lights allowed teams to do just that. Also, fans could watch their favorite major leaguers match up against the greats of the Negro Leagues, even with segregation in the majors. Barnstorming, barnstorming is a storied aspect of America's pastime that is sometimes forgotten, but was nonetheless vital to baseball's continuation and development. All right. And it, it, it continues to go on and on and on. It's a very long article, and I just kind of think I covered it in the other article as well. But Well, the thing that confused me, when I heard him say barnstorming, I'd only heard that other term once. In a Growing Pains episode from Leonardo DiCaprio in Season 7, he played Luke Brower. He mentioned barnstorming. I thought it had something to do with airplanes. When my confusion when Dean's father Bill brought a barnstorming, I'm like, what? Barns? So, okay, back to the episode. So Dean even mentions that Coach Long was against it until Mama convinced him. And Lillian even thinks, you know, I think it's a good idea, and I'm proud of Dean for you know trying and just you know bringing this to us. And Bill puts his foot down. He's like, no. There are too many good teams over here that you can play. You're not playing. So what exactly happens? Because we see Dean ends up playing. So what changes Bill's mind exactly? So Dean again tries to interject. And Bill, you better not be talking back to me. And then he says, tells Dean to fix his face. And then, of course, Lillian brings up the fact, like, even if Dean doesn't play, I still have to go because... You know, I'm part of the team, too, being the team mom. And I don't know what Bill's problem is with Coach Long exactly. It's the fact that he feels like Coach Long is hitting on Lillian. Like, oh, because you work together and stuff like that, so he's sweet on you. And just he just feels maybe territorial. I mean, it's not like he's telling his wife, like, I don't want you hanging out or helping out with the team. I don't like you spending time with him. He's not saying that, but something clearly just doesn't seem to be a... But then again, I mean, Corey's parents aren't divorced that I've heard. Lillian comes back at Bibble, but wait, wait a minute. I never say anything about your work friends. That's not fair. It's like, yeah, you know that he, his, you know, faculty staff, other, I'm sure there are plenty of ladies on that faculty staff at that college that he teaches as a music professor. But what? Yeah, I agree. That isn't really fair for him to 
be harping on her about that and jumping on her about that when it's like, you have female co-workers and I don't say anything about it. So Dean is like, oh, what's not fair? And both Lillian and Bill turn to Dean again and say, stay out of grown folks' business. Oh, he did not. He doesn't even look at them when he says, no. And both Bill and Lillian turn to him and it's like, you did not just say that. The one thing we all know as kids, like, you don't talk back to your parents unless you want the worst to happen. I'm getting kind of a Kev, Fred Savage, Kevin Arnold flashback here when both Bill and Lillian are like, have you lost your natural mind? What has gotten into you? And we get adult Dean here providing, like, I, you know, he's providing for us, the viewers, Dean's inner thoughts here at this moment. He's not projecting. I like it. When he's doing this, it's fine. But when he's projecting about in the future, we didn't have Google to fact check on bullies or something like that. I'm not a fan of that too much. But when he's being there in the present and Dean is talking about, you know, I wanted to tell him about, you know, Michael Sims and Mrs. Hodges and the white kids and the kids on the bus. And that moment, like when Kevin's in the principal's office and he's just having these inner thoughts go through his head. That's what I'm getting that Kevin Arnold vibe through from the, yeah. I like when the similarities peek through. Oh, uh, he also mentions that Kim went through their mom's purse and snuck out. So what, she snuck out and got the car keys and took off with the car? Or she took money out? It's almost like, well, if I'm getting in trouble, I'm throwing every other sibling under the bus. Everyone goes with me. <laughs> and Dean says, I realized it was more than that. What came out of my mouth then surprised me actually more than that, my parents. And Dean says, I feel different everywhere I go, no matter who I'm around. I was like, yes, being 12 is it's a confusing time because you don't know where your place is. And for for Dean and stuff like that, it almost feels like he's getting beat up on by another black kid for being quote unquote too white. So it feels like he can't fit into this category. And if he tries to say hi to you know the white kids and and this and that, and then he is just like he's he's trying to fit. It's bad enough when you're 12 you're trying to figure out who you are, but then you're also trying to tote this line of here's your identity at home and with your friends, and then here's, there's your identity at school and stuff. It's almost honestly like you're two different people. And it just, it, I feel bad for Dean. He really, he's trying to figure out where the heck he fits in in all of this. And I like what I, and he says, you know, when I'm with Corey and Brad, you know, we all feel different. We're all kind of going through it together. And in that moment, he says, I feel just like everyone else because both of them are going through exactly what I'm going through. I mean, I can imagine the shit that Brad probably gets for, for talking to Dean and Corey and stuff like that from the other white kids. Like, where are you talking to them? And shit like that. It's like they're all trying to just find... 
I don't even know if you would call it a happy medium where each side can be satisfied with. Or maybe it's just like, we don't give a shit what the other side says. We're going to do what we're going to do because that's what feels right in our hearts is that we're not excluding anybody. We don't want to exclude it. We want to bring, you know, that's what he's calling the great uniter because he's bringing people together and realizing this shouldn't matter. We should be able to hang out and be together without all this hostility on either side. And people telling you what you have to do or that we should be divided. It seems like those that want to evoke change are the ones that seem to get the most opposition from from people. And that's what's sad. It's like the free thinkers and the people that are trying to make the next you know, movement and, and that want change, that are ready for it. And just all this pushback they're getting from people. And it's almost like sometimes you feel like maybe, do you ever feel like sometimes those people like weren't born in the right like century or right decade? It's like you're, but, or maybe they were, but it's like your ideas are so, you know, forward and in the future and stuff that eventually, you know, will happen a bit. But it's like, you might be there yet, but the rest of the world is still not caught up to you yet. So Brad would later tell Dean that making <laughs> yourself feel better by making everyone uncomfortable is like the most Jewish thing you could ever do. Like, wow, okay. So Bill, he just... Ugh. He's like, well, you two do whatever you want, then. I, I don't want any part of this. Basically, it's two against one. And I like this here, as he says, that was the first time I ever stood up to my dad, and the first time I realized just how scary it could be. And some... Yeah, he says, and that was the first time I realized just how scary it can be to get what you want.
That was the first time I'd stood up to my dad. And the first time I realized just how scary it can be to get what you want. So yeah, now we get to the baseball field and we see, you know, Brad being, bringing in his team. I guess he's the team captain. And then we got Dean coming in, bringing people in as the team captain. And, you know, the boys are all shaking hands and everything. And Dean's just saying how proud he is for what he and Brad, you know, and Corey have done. Just... And Dean, adult Dean even says, you know, it didn't matter who won the game. And here we see Michael Sims. And I like how Dean gives Michael the nod. Because Michael's actually right outside on his bike. Outside the fence of the baseball diamond. And he also gives Dean the nod. This kid looks familiar. This Michael Sims. I'm going to look him up. Okay, so it turns out, yeah, I don't know the boy who plays Michael Sims. He hasn't been in really anything I would notice. Um... The girl who does the Yo Mama, like, oh, the, he just said a Yo Mama joke. She is given the credit of future Karen. Are you fucking kidding me with this shit? Seriously? You couldn't have just given her a fucking name or just said girl in classroom or Dean's classmate or something like that? You had to go future Karen. Fuck off. Fuck off with that shit. I fucking hate that shit. Yes, apparently Michael was only there to steal Brad's bike. Uh, great. But Dean says at the moment it was validation. What, because he did the head nod too? And here comes Dean's dad. And adult Dean said, says, it's a trip. The little things you remember all your life. This is actually from one of the promos. Like your first hit, your first kiss, the first time your dad lets you know he sees you. And then he says, well, the first two hadn't happened yet, but that last one, let me tell you. Wow. Yeah, he says, well, I still hadn't had the other two, but that third one felt great. Because his dad takes his hat off and winks at Dean. I'm just like, oh, my heart. I love it. The pitcher throws the pitch, and Dean, like, falls down. Because he's afraid of getting hit, I guess. And then, Brad is the catcher, as he takes his face mask off and says, Oh, he's not prejudiced. Is this kid going to drop this line, or is this going to be, like, a catchphrase? Because, I mean, he's said it now twice, and it's, it's kind of getting on my nerves. Because Dean's like, well, if he wasn't, then the ball was. So now now Coach Long and Dean's dad are kind of getting into a 
Dean, get in front of in the box and watch the fastball. And then Dean's dad, because that was from Coach Long. Now Dean's dad is saying, get to the back of the box and watch the curveball. And they and Dean is like trying to listen to both of them. He's like he's trying to appease his dad for his advice and his coach. So it's like, whoa, 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 like he should be listening to his coach. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, they're both screaming front of the box, back of the box. Watch the fastball. Look out for the curveball. Back and forth, back and forth, back. And Dean, Dean's dead. Bill is like, calls him Dean Jeremiah, uh, what's his name? Williams? And, and Coach Long is like, well, you got me there. I don't know the kid's full name. Like, good grief, just back and forth, back and forth. Like, Dean Jeremiah Williams, and here, his coach, I don't know his name. Like, ugh. And, of course, strikes out again, and and Dean's dad, Bill's like, you'll get him next time. I'm like, I, I would have gotten him this time if you would have, like, not said anything, and I could concentrate on what my coach is telling me to do. Ugh. Yeah, it's like he was just back and forth, back and forth, kept looking at his, behind at his head, forward at his coach, and back and forth, and it's like, my goodness. Dean probably, Dean probably could have hit that ball and been to, like, first or second base in the amount of time and the amount of back and forth that Coach Long and his dad were screaming at each other. Oh my god, now he's out in, like, the backfield or whatever, and now both Coach Long and Dean's dad are still, like, Come in. Come to me. No. Stay back. Go back. Go long. It's like, you're confusing the heck out of this kid. My gosh. And you know that Bill is just doing it to undermine Coach Long's authority. Like, that's my kid. I'll give him direction, even though you're the coach. Yeah, it's just like, putting his hands on. Dean's like, really? Really? Oh, my gosh. The both of you. Just stop already. And now Dean's back at the bat. And both of the, uh, this is just, it's repetitive and it's irritating. And Coach Long finally has it out with Bill's like, hey, if you got a problem with the way I coached Bill, just say so. And Dean is just like whispering his dad's mantra, like, be cool, be cool. Like, please don't have it out and do that with my coach. I'm begging you, don't make a scene. He's already been making a scene, though, for the whole damn game. If this were now times, he probably his ass would have been yanked out and banned from ever going to any of his son's games. So Bill starts in with, well, I thought, like, instead of a new glove, maybe Dean just needed some better instruction. And then Coach Wong comes in with, well, hey, this is no, this isn't a piano recital. It's like, you stick to your music, I'll stick to my coaching. You stick to what you know best, which is music. Yeah, he says, this ain't no piano recital, so you stick to the do-re-mis, and I'll stick to the one-two-threes. <laughs> and Bill says, that don't even make no sense. That just rhymes. And of course, oh, you gotta hit it where it hurts, don't you, Coach Vlog? He says, well, I can say the same about your songs, about your music. Oh, you did not just come at that man with, about his music. These guys have got a rivalry. Holy fuck. Because like, oh, yeah, now you're ragging on my music. But don't forget, I still struck you out. And, of course, Coach Long's like, hey, I, that was in sixth grade. 
I hadn't hit my growth spurt yet. And they're just like, it's like, damn, this rivalry grows back a fucking ways. <laughs> now they're like, you get the ball. No, you get the ball. <laughs> okay, he needs to stop. up to Dean is like, hey, this might not be the right time to tell you, but your sister is choice, man. And Dean's like, oh, Brad, shut up. Seriously. Because during this whole thing's going down, you just see Lillian and Kim, and I think maybe Coach Long's wife is also sitting just on the bench below them in the stands and just like, oh, our husbands. Ugh. So Lillian finally goes out there to confront Bill and Coach Long, like, what is the matter with you two? Out here, showing your ass in front of all these white people. As in, look what you're doing and how you're acting. You're playing right into their fucking hands. And that's why they don't want to play with us. You're basically proving a point by arguing. <laughs> Dean even says that was a uni universal rule that cut across all classes of what... Of black people but it was too late now because oh yeah oh you know i was when i first watched this i thought they were gonna find out that their older son had been killed in vietnam like i thought it was gonna go that route like with kimmy kill kimmy with winnie cooper's brother brian being killed in vietnam but no they went in a different direction with jfk's assassination which had happened in what 63 11 63 and then, of course, at 60, we have Martin Luther King. This is, And the thing is, I was just thinking, and I'm happy they didn't do it this way, because when someone comes up, like, oh, we thought you knew, Dr. King has just been shot. And the thing is, that's all they know. They just know that he's been shot. And then, but the thing is, I was worried that we were going to get adult Dean coming in and say, you know, if we had Google or Facebook, or the internet, we would have gotten this news a lot faster. I am happy they didn't go that route. That would have fucking pissed me off. Like, that is not the moment to be bringing that in. Okay, so, yeah, it's a black couple. I don't, or, I'm sorry. No, I'm sorry. 
a white couple. I don't know if it's Brad's parents that come up and they start apologizing right away. Like, we're so sorry about what happened. And then Bill says, sorry about what? You don't know. It's Dr. King. He's been shot. Uh, Holy shit. And Lillian's like, what? Where? And, of course, I'm just going to say this is Brad's father. Just throw that out there, because I don't know. And um, he says, in Memphis, I mean, it's all over the news. Well, they're all at the game, so they're not going to be seeing the news. No one's got a radio on playing to the news. So you know that this comes at a, is a humongous shock. And they ask, like, is he, and the, the lady says, well, they rushed him to a hospital. And then the, the guy says, well, we, we thought that's what you all were arguing about. We thought that's why you're so angry and fighting. So now everyone is gathered at home in front of the television. They're awaiting news. All they know is that Dr. King's been taken to the hospital. That's all they know. That he was shot. I heard that he was on a balcony when he was shot, when it happened. And, um, so yeah, the family's just, they're sitting there just awaiting for the news report to come in. Like, is he going to make it? Is he not? So just as Dean comes in, Walter Cronkite is on the television. He says, this just in. Dr. King, who was an apostle of non-violence in the civil rights movement, says he has been shot to death in Memphis, Tennessee. They put out an all-points bulletin, uh, a PB, after seeing a white man running from the scene. Oh, Lillian wasn't even... Okay, no, it was Coach Long, Bill, and Coach Long's wife, and Kim. So Dean is the one that goes to where Lillian is in her bedroom, you know, folding the laundry. And Dean is the one that tells her that Dr. King is dead. Adult Dean comes out and saying, like, I just didn't understand what's so important about folding those clothes. And we see Lillian's face, and she is just... Tears are running down her face. And it's like sometimes when you're waiting news, which most likely could be bad news, like probably even the worst news of your life. And it's like sometimes there are people like they got to keep busy. They got to keep their mind doing something else, anything as a distraction. And maybe that's what Lillian was doing. And then 
we hear what seems like, you know, neighbors just down the street. We hear a woman screaming and shouting and crying. Then we hear a man say, he's gone. It's like the houses are so close together. Like people just coming out of their houses into their yards and just, ugh. So Bill and Coach Wong and Coach Wong's wife, they all decide to go check on their neighbor, Miss Handy, who's clearly, she's the one outside screaming. She's not handling it well. Like, let's go check on her. And Kim sees the picture of her older brother dressed in his uniform. And she sees the SAT study guide book. But instead of grabbing that, she grabs the book called Soul on Ice. Dean goes out and decides to go for a bike ride to kind of clear his head, probably go to the old, their old school that is no longer in operation. And he says, I didn't understand, you know, a lot of things, like why people, when they're really upset or mad about something, they destroy their own things. So I like the song that they chose for when Dean rides up on his bike, stops, sees the swings, sees Corey there, and Kisa, and they're kissing. And I'm sure he's thinking, that should be my first kiss. Because you know, Corey said that, you know, he went to a makeout party. And I just, I like the song by Otis Redding called A Change Is Gonna Come. It is very, very fitting for the final scene of this episode. I think it was done very, very well. And... It kind of flipped it. It felt like it flipped the the table a bit. Table got flipped with instead of like Kevin and Winnie sharing the first kiss after her brother had been killed and he's comforting her, putting his jacket on around her shoulders. 
we see Dean losing out on his chance. Remember how Corey said, you need to tell her that you like her. Because otherwise, it's like someone else is going to swoop in there and take your chance away. And Corey did. He, you know, we don't know that Corey, you know, if maybe he had a thing for, for Kisa or not, you know, maybe he did. But, and this kind of makes me think of when, I believe it was season three of Boy Meets World where Corey wanted to ask out Topanga, but he was so nervous. And then here comes Sean, Corey's best friend, asking Topanga out. Because Corey couldn't muster up the courage to do that himself. So it's like, you lost your chance. I told you, you should have made a move. Or someone else was going to. And Adult Dean says, suddenly the anger on the news made a lot more sense. So he takes a rock and he chucks it through one of the windows of his old school. And Adult Dean says, because somehow it felt like some things... Just we're never going to change. So Dean, he looks very angry. He puts his glasses back on, rides home, and then as he gets to his doorstop, he says, a lot of us played that day over and over in our mind for different reasons. And he says, for each of us, it felt like the world had changed around us forever. He says, the world around us had changed forever. And Dean says, and thankfully, thankfully for each of us, the world on the inside hadn't. As we see, Dean finally made it. His dad wrote on the baseball, Dean's game ball, 4-4-68. And that is how the episode ends. Of us. 
You know, and I'm just kind of thinking, I just thought of this just now, was that date, April 4th, 1968, even though it started out as just a normal, ordinary day, you know, but it was a big day as far as not just what came later with Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, and that day would be, what's the word, is the word synonymous? That might not be the right word. With with that date, like that date will go down in history, but also, you know, that being the day that, you know, Brad's team and Dean and Corey's team played each other and two different races came together, you know, to play against each other and everything like that. So that was a big pivotal moment for for. Dean, and then also to have this big monumental life-changing moment in in history and everything like that. Like how many people you? I even remember talking to my dad about you know my dad would have been ten when JFK was assassinated, and I had a chance to actually ask him about that. And I'm just thinking how these days, these mornings, just so on, you know, similar in a way to how mornings start. And then this thing just happens and just changes everything. Like, even remember the one thing that people say about the morning of, you know, 9 11. I'm not trying to compare one tragedy against another, but just so more the fact of how these days start out, you know, ordinary and just like a typical any other day. And then, yeah, the one thing like they said about 9-11, everyone remembers how it was a clear blue morning on on a, on a Tuesday at like 8 a.m. And then just shortly after that, it's just your world is just ripped apart. And I'm just thinking now, the more and more years that go by, the uh, people that were around when these monumentous world life-changing moments in history took place. I'm, I'm just thinking, I mean, we don't just some of these tragedies, like there's no one left alive that survived the Titanic. And how many people now that were kids during the JFK assassination and the Martin Luther King assassination and just how many of them, like, in another 20, 30 years, there's not going to be anyone around, really, that's going to be able to remember that we're there when it happened and how it personally affected people. That's why I honestly feel like that's why we have to keep history alive for those moments re recorded and documented people's own personal experiences so kids in the future like you might try to want to erase things that happened it's like they still fucking happened they happened to people people were affected by it you can't erase history no matter what you do it still happened it still happened no matter what you say, no matter if you try to erase it from schools and everything. I'm sorry I'm going off on a tangent here, but it just, that's why we need so many 
I think, personal accounts, really, not just in history books, but people that lived during that time and how they were, you know, not just affected, like, what it was like back then. Because as the years go by, we're going to get farther and farther away. I mean, think about it. 1991 was 30 fucking years ago. I was nine. And when I was, like, in 1990, when I was eight, 30 years for me was 1960. It's just, it's just... Honestly, I'm sorry for rambling about this, but it just it just blows my mind just how much farther away just even reading in books about kids referring to the 90s and even the 80s as the old days. Like the old like that's some old movie my parents watched or that's some old song from the 90s. And it's just like it cuts a little deeper each time I hear or read something like that. It really does. And maybe it's the fact that, I mean, I'm 30, I turned 39 this year. Oh my, it just, I don't know. It's just hard to, sometimes I guess it's a little hard to accept, but I still feel it's like these moments in history, we, we need personal accounts. We need to document this stuff. For future generations. We still need curious minds in this world. People that wonder about how things used to be. And I honestly, I'm, I am excited to continue after the pilot episode. I know in the beginning I said I wasn't like a fan, but watching it a second time and even like when there's no music, when there's no narration and you get a little bit of the, like when the, after that happens, on the baseball field and you hear and just the boys coming in from the field and just that score playing it's just it's it's haunting it really really is so yeah as i believe i didn't say <laughs> i didn't why am i moving the microphone back i don't know so now i just lost my train of thought <laughs> um Okay, I got it. So, as I said, this is my second time watching the pilot. What I'm going to do going forward with the rest of the series, if you don't already know, this season, we actually have a full season. It's not going to be six episodes of season one. It is it is an entire 22 full season set of episodes for season one. So, with that being said, going forward, I am just going to be actually watching the episodes... First time view, you're getting my first reactions 100%. Now, I'm, 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 I don't want to promise and say I'm going to do an episode a week because I just, I don't want to promise that if I can't keep my, my word. So I'm going to, if I can get to maybe two a month, we'll see, we'll see. But I am really, let me see how many episodes actually, whoopsie, let me see how many episodes actually have aired. They have aired seven episodes so far. So the episode titles, Green-Eyed Monster, episode two, episode three is The Club, episode four, The Workplace, episode five, The Lock-In, episode six, Be Prepared, episode seven, Independence Day, and the two that do not have 
synopsis episode eight science fair episode nine home for christmas now i'm gonna go back and maybe you know insert some clips of the episode into the episode i think that's what i'm going to do after i finish covering the episode so the next episode i'm going to cover season one episode two green-eyed monster Sorry, Green-Eyed Monster, which aired September 29th, 2021. In this episode, while Dean reckons with his first taste of heartbreak and betrayal, the adults in his life are overly empathetic and assume his grief is from mourning, mourning, M-O-U-R, mourning current, current events. As in, they think that because he's, he's upset because of Martin Luther King Jr.'s assassination, like, this is why he's you know, crying and moping around the house. Looking at the other episodes that have aired, like Green-Eyed Monsters 7.2, the pilot episode 7.1, and the ratings just get higher. We got 7.6 for the third episode, 7.5 for the fourth, 7.2 for number five, 6.6 .6 for number six, 7.8. That's really high. I think that's the highest rated one for... Okay, so, I don't know, maybe actually thinking about it now, maybe I actually might start just doubling up on the episodes, doing episodes two and three, four and five, six and seven. Maybe I might, we'll see if I, excuse me, if I can do, do that. So that way I can play some clips and the episodes, I'll go into what detail I can, but I don't want to make these overly, overly long. We'll see. We'll see. Like I said, I don't really want to make any promises. I do want to do a couple reviews, so I'm going to do one good review, one bad review for the episode. That's kind of what I, I like to do here from the top reviewers. Okay. Not a single spark present. Two out of ten. This is from October 3rd, 2021. This is on the pilot. As a fan of the original Wonder Years series, I tuned into this reboot pilot to see what it was all about. I came in with no expectations whatsoever, but mainly was just intrigued that Fred Savage, young Kevin in the original, was heavily involved in the production. What I found was a pilot episode utterly devoid of even the semblance of a spark of life. Well, Honestly, it's a pilot episode. Like I believe I did say before, it felt like they're trying to do a lot, a lot of stuff. They're trying to pack a lot of stuff in to the half hour that they're given. So that way they can kind of set a nice balance going forward. They want to introduce you to the family. They want to introduce you to, you know, their jobs, their personalities. So that way, going forward, we have a nice set balance of what to expect and on the journey that all these characters are going to go on for the first season. Meanwhile, I mean, it says at the end of the episode that it was April 4th, 1968. Well, that means, like, school's going to let out in, like, what, less than two months. So I know that because one of the episodes is Independence Day, so that sounds like that could be, you know, around summertime. And even, I believe there's an episode about Dean wanting to do the Boy Scouts or, yeah, the Boy Scouts. So that's got to be set during the summer, I would imagine. I would imagine, anyway. 
For a very basic overview, this series follows young Dean, a young African-American, as he navigates young adulthood in 1960s Alabama from school to home life, friends, sports, and girls. Not one time during this 20-odd minute episode did I crack a smile in the humor or feel anything resembling an emotion. Absolutely nothing transpired on screen that really made me feel anything. Though perhaps an interesting contrast to the original Wonder Years set up white versus black, suburban 60s life. There is zero hint at any of that gravitas. This might well be a generic sitcom that just happens to be set during that time. Needless to say, I won't be continuing along further with this new Wonder Years, though featuring nothing offensive or over-the-top content-wise, it simply lacks any sort of creative spark that makes entertainment well entertainment perhaps it has a chance to improve as it rolls along but this dreadful start certainly does not bode well so there aren't really um a whole lot of re reviews for this uh this one came from september a uh 28th 2021 this is 10 out of 10 impressive i wasn't really planning on watching the new show as i only watched the original show because of a uh, lack of opinions at the time but i am a big fan i'm gonna mispronounce this man. I gotta find out how to pronounce his name because I feel like a big dum dum because I can't. Dool Dule Hill. He plays Bill from the West Wing and Psych. He also made HBO Max's Lockdown more watchable. So as I was waiting for the new episode of Only Murders in the Building to drop, I decided to try the new Wonder Years. First, Hill isn't playing the same curmudgeon that Dan Loria played he's a musician who says be cool and that montage absolutely works the kid stuff is a lot like the original wonder years or everybody hates chris and then there's everything about the civil rights issues of that era and how they reverberate in our current era out out racist and powerful position of influence the show is quite impressive and it's obvious why racists would hate the show the people who are trying to ban the teaching of history in school, I'm sure the sticks in their craw, but they claim it's because it's a reboot. All right. So let's see. What's this? Um, this one's a small uh, 10 out of 10. A wonder. This is from uh, October 9th, 2021. The humor and complexity of this pilot episode knocked me back. It's innocent and aware of itself, filled with brilliant, bright moments. Looking forward to the rest of the season. Be cool. I like that. 10 out of 10. This was truly wonderful for me based only on the pilot. I rarely, if ever, give a pilot a perfect score of 10. Coming from a mostly white middle-aged man, it made me laugh. It made me cry. Now this right here is how you do a show with political overtones. Oh, and those streetlights were universal. It didn't matter what the tone of your skin was. And the music, bravo. And I gotta say something here. I remember reading the reviews after it aired, and there were a shit ton of fucking reviews. So I don't know if I'm, IMDb just kind of weeds out the undesirable ones and just leaves kind of some good, some, you know, not so good. So you give an even balance of yay or nay. Um, I haven't... With the original Wonder Years, I had Wonderling Words of Wisdom, and I think I kind of want to keep that going this time around with the new wonder years so wonderling words of wisdom for this episode i just want to say keep trying 
just like Dean's mom was telling Dean, you know, keep trying, you know, change people's, believe in, in yourself and everything like that. And just, if you believe something's right in your heart and everything, and just be, if you want to change people's minds of how they perceive things, I mean, people are going to do what they're going to do. But don't stop trying if it's something you truly believe in. As far as for our, uh, our best outfit of the episode, because I know I was doing that a little bit. I'm trying to remember what it was way back when I started, because it seems like that kind of dropped off as I got more into the original Wonder Years. So I'm thinking this time around... I really liked Kisa's Letterman jacket. I thought that was so great. Worst outfit? Oh, I want to give it to Brad for when we first meet him in the hall. He's wearing like this, like shirt, like it's almost like it cuts down into like a a V-neck kind of thing with like this um, covering in the where it should be a V-neck. There's like um. I don't know. I just, I didn't care for it. It was like a pale baby blue in a cream kind of color. Just was, I, I get it. It's 68. Those are the times. Those are the fashions. But uh, one thing I just hope for Brad's character, it's like, ugh, please drop the, they're not prejudiced. Please, I, please don't let that be a catchphrase. <laughs> please just st have him stop doing that because it's, just, I get he's trying to be helpful. He's trying to excuse other people's behavior. Make excuse like, it's almost, uh, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just going to leave it at that. So, we'll see. I think I really want to see if I can maybe tackle two episodes, a podcast episode. Because they have a Christmas one, and I would love to do the Christmas one. I just... I think I'm gonna I'm gonna try to do that. See if I can get it to line up. And if I if and this is a major if, guys, if I can do this weekly, I will gladly do it. I will gladly attempt it because it is 22. You know, I made it work with two podcasts before, right? Remember when I did both Punky Brewster and The Wonder Years at the same? Well. Punky Brewster was in late February, Wonder Years kicked off in May of 2017, but I made it work, damn it, and I know I got other commitments. I'm going to be honest with you. The Everwood Podcast, the Boy Meets World Podcast, those guys, the American Dreams Podcast that I also started, the Growing Pains Podcast, those are kind of, I mean... Boy Meets World and Growing Pain, since I really don't go in order of those shows, I can toss out an episode here and there. Same with Mr. Belvedere. I'd like to get, you know, an episode or so of Elf. Um, I still got Punky Brewster's nine episodes of the new show to finish covering. But as far as Everwood and American Dreams, those honestly are going to most likely be on the back burner for a while until at least I complete Full House and a good chunk of Fuller House. I just, I overcommit myself and I, I will admit to that. Even different strokes 
a podcast I swear I started in January of last year. Or was it the year before? I can't even remember anymore. But even that, if I can get an episode out here and there, because I'm not going in order. I'm not doing every single episode of Different Strokes. There are episodes I will flat out refuse to do because I couldn't stand them because they were weak sauce the first time around. And I'm talking about, like, filler, dummy, dumb, like... I don't want to call the show. It's not dumb. Show, Different Strokes is not dumb. Because I love it. And it really helped me through working through my dad's death back in 2019. When I originally watched all eight seasons. Every single fucking episode. And there are just some episodes I'm like, why the fuck is this even a thing? Filler episodes, my ass. Oh my gosh. Don't even get me started. I think it's the fifth season opener where Arnold and Willis are like battling it out at a fucking video arcade. Like the weak fucking sauce episode. Fucking hell. But anyway, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do this. I honestly want to, uh, but again, I don't want to promise either. And so, uh, we'll just (laughs) take it by ear, take it by ear. Like I said, I do want to put some clips in here from the pilot episode and so on. So, all right. Everyone have a wonder. And these will, I want to stick to a release schedule of Wednesday. I want to do that. So, Wonder Years Wednesdays. Just like, doesn't the show come out on Wednesdays too? All right. (laughs) All right, everybody. Have a great, great, I'm hump day because it'll be Wednesday. Uh, if you want to email the podcast and tell me your thoughts on the pilot episode, I would love to hear them. You can email the podcast at lbomwonderyearspodcast at gmail.com, or you can even message me on the Facebook page for the podcast, looking back on my Wonder Years and Wonder Years podcast. So, all right, everybody, have a great hump day. Let's get through the rest of the week. <laughs>